0: Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Farm Commons podcast, where we explore timely and important legal issues and questions facing the farming community today. For community-based farms with a focus on sustainability, managing legal risks is especially important as many innovative farm enterprises, like community-supported agriculture programs, on-farm suppers and gardening classes, and unique arrangements for land access and employment do not fit neatly into our legal system, leading to vulnerability. Through legal education, we can cultivate greater resilience for your farm business so that you can continue to grow in ways that best support you, your relationships, and your community. At Farm Commons, we'll show you why and how. Thanks for tuning in. Hi, everyone. It's Eva here, Farmer and Partner Development Manager with Farm Commons, and welcome to our podcast today. We're here back in virtual space with our director, Rachel Armstrong, and today we'll be exploring a longstanding and very unfortunately, but truly ugly reality for many farmers, and that is racial discrimination in agriculture. Now, there's so much more here than we can begin to unpack in just about 20 minutes, but the point here for us is to start the discussion in light of the race revolutions going on globally and really centering on the role of the law in race and agriculture and discrimination and the potential for reparations. Hey, Rachel, good to be having this conversation with you.
1: It is terrific to be here, and it's exciting to see some um, non-COVID light at the end of the tunnel. As much as we love that work, the, the world is, is, is operating in and around COVID. And so it's, uh, it's fun to be able to talk about some other things
0: absolutely and super super important things to our daily existence and um, change globally and here in the united states and um, i want to make some space here to acknowledge that agriculture in the united states was built on the system of slavery and those systems of oppression of the black community are still with us today Um, and so yeah agriculture here was established on with and by the system of slavery that being the enslavement of black people by white people and since the first um, peoples from Africa arrived on US shores into the system of enslavement in 1619 the legacy of oppression racism and discrimination has been passed on from generation to generation and today um, 2020 uh, we still see this in many areas of agriculture for our conversation today, we'll be exploring discrimination in the legal areas of lending and land access specifically, um, how it works, what's been done about it, and offering up some supporting resources for Black, Brown, Indigenous, and um, other farmers of color in these areas of laws.
1: Right, right. And it's so important that we talk about this, not just now, but, uh, but that we have a broad conversation about the law's role. Um, in maintaining systems of oppression and in breaking those those systems down, because it certainly cuts both ways. The law isn't just a tool for, for wonderful, you know, glorious social change that we all want to get behind. It is also a tool to continue to uphold the status quo that is harmful, damaging, I and mean, represents the worst of, of what we are. So whenever we talk about the law, we've got to look at it from both of those perspectives, okay. um, what it does well and what it does really terrible. Mm -hmm. So, um, for the most part, you know, From Commons sticks to that positive, proactive, solve problems type of conversation. And uh, I appreciate this chance to really reflect on on some of the systems that really hold us back uh, in becoming the kind kind of community that uh, that we want for ourselves. Mm -hmm. You brought up the particular subject of discrimination and lending. I think that's a really important one to to talk about because agriculture is a capital intensive industry and access to capital is really essential um, to be able to farm successfully over time. Can you tell me a bit more about how we have seen uh, discrimination and systems of oppression within lending.
0: Yes, and especially related to agriculture, um, the most notable instance of this was in, in the law, um, in the Pigford v. Glickman case um, from around the 1990s, 1999, um, where I mean, really, this started like way before 1999. After the Great Depression, um, African-Americans were overlooked and discriminated against in many programs established to help struggling Americans in various sectors of the economy. And for for this case specifically, it was in agriculture. Um, black farmers in rural communities who were farming right alongside white farmers um, and were farming the same things and um, similar crops and similar scales were pursuing loans, crop loans, to support their farm businesses. And um, were those those black farmers were receiving loans at a lesser rate, not on time, at later times than their white counterparts. And so um, uh, a farmer stepped up um, to, to make this trend be known and his experience and that was Timothy Pigford and um, the the attorney that he was working with was like all right well let's see you know where else is this going on and and they essentially went on a tour of the southeast and um, I think even parts of the Midwest to see you know what other or who other black farmers were experiencing this same um, discrepancy in lending and it turned out to be a whole heck of a lot of black farmers like in the hundreds of farmers. Um, and still, more and more are becoming known even today. And so, um, Pigford v. Glickman was the class action lawsuit that came came about from, from that on the ground um, story harvesting of Black farmers' experience and in, in discrimination in lending. Um, and I say discrimination because it, it it was found that there was a difference in how um, farmers were being treated through the lending process through USDA, specifically Farm Services Agency, based on Race. So white farmers were being treated differently and black, than black farmers. Um, and so the class action lawsuit was led by black farmers against the USDA to address racial discrimination in those federal programs, um, specifically lending programs administered by FSA. And so it's actually the largest civil rights um, settlement case in, I think, all of U.S. history. It's set settled for $1.2 billion um, in 1999, and following farm bills actually appropriated money specifically for Pigford payments, um, and there was even, like, a follow-up case because the class of affected Black farmers just kept growing and growing. Um, so that is that is one of the seminal Issues and also cases to look at regarding discrimination and lending.
1: Thank you. That's a, that's a great summary and such an important part of our history that we, that we understand. If a farmer comes up to you today and says, hey, I, I'm wondering if an experience that I had has an element of, you know, discrimination to it or I have concerns, I'm concerned about, about you know, how I'm being treated. What would you say to a farmer like that? What opportunities, what organizations are available to help folks move forward?
0: Yeah, great question. Like what can, what resources are available if a farmer is going through this? Um, Here in North Carolina, we have an organization, the Rural Advancement Foundation International, RAFI RAFI USA, and they have been around for many decades and have been very active in the Pickford v. Glickman case. And they have a... um, established a farmer hotline that folks can call into to reach out um, to their staff if you are a farmer experiencing discrimination through the lending process or um, other other related issues on the farm um, it could be um, not just like crop crop loans but disaster assistance if you're encountering issues there um, really it's it's considered a, like a lifeline for farmers and i will be dropping the um, link to information about rafi's farmer hotline in the show notes as well as the phone number um, and actually over in minnesota where rachel is there's the farmers legal action group um which is another great resource and they were were like some of the leaders of the the Pickford v. Glickman case and organizing farmers to give testimony and get that moved through. So two really excellent organizations to pursue for support if you if you feel like you are encountering discrimination as you pursue um, loans and support through your your county farm service agency office or, or other USDA programs.
1: Absolutely, and Farmers Legal Action Group sometimes goes by the acronym FLAG, um, and uh, and FLAG has a, has a hotline as well as as well as lots of print resources on their website that folks can um, can access um, and really take advantage of their incredible expertise and you know decades long dedication to making sure that. Um, communities have equal access to the resources um, of lending um, and of USDA and federal programs. So they've just done incredible work um, and uh, Farm Commons in many ways, you know, stands on their shoulders when we do our work because they've been doing farmer education of this type for, for an incredible um, period of time and have such a such a strong legacy that they're leaving.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And just a note on those two organizations, RAFI and FLAG, although FLAG is in Minnesota and Rafi is in North Carolina. They are nationwide organizations. So those hotlines are available to you wherever you are in the 50 states.
1: Absolutely.
0: Well, another issue, um, Rachel, that I wanted us to um, touch on and I realize, you know, we are talking about some very big issues that we cannot even begin to dive into in in this podcast episode. So really, we're just we're just touching on them for the sake of shedding light on these things being truths in our agricultural system. Um, And another one of those those sad truths is that there is discrimination, hugely huge discrimination in land access. as farmer Leah Penniman shares in her book, Farming While Black, which is an excellent resource for farmers, especially farmers of color who are entering in the field. And really anybody who's interested in understanding um, agriculture through the lens of, of, Um, the black community not just through experience but in terms of history and indigenous growing practices it's a great resource Um, and in that book leah writes that less than one percent of farmland today is black owned and to put that in contrast in the early 1900s about 14 percent of farmland was owned by black farmers so that that's a significant decrease like just in a hundred years And as the Family Agriculture Resource Management Service, or the FARMS, um, and a great organization, also national, um, states, land loss is an epidemic that has plagued Black farmers and landowners. Every month, 30,000 acres of Black land ownership is lost, primarily due to non-payment of property tax, eminent domain, unprofitable business models, discrimination, generational out-migration, and lack of estate planning. So clearly, there are many contributing factors to this broken and very unjust system of land access for the Black community. And we're going to um, just zone in onto one of them. Again, you know, this is a podcast episode, so we're going to do the best we can in the time that we have. Um, And within estate planning, um, I was hoping we could talk specifically about the role of heirs property. And if that term is new to you, to some of you listeners, um, maybe we'll start with a question, Rachel, what is heirs
1: property? Great question. So, so heirs property is a shorthand phrase that refers to what occurs when land is, is passed down to, to another generation without a will. So as you know, um, if you die um, without a will, um, your land goes to your heirs. And it's, it's passed down to all of your heirs you know, we, there's because there's not a will that says, you know, Johnny gets so and so much and Susie gets XYZ, um, the law is by default going to try to split that between um, all of the eligible heirs, which depends on state law, who exactly that is. So then then those folks come to uh, co-own that property together. And let's say this happens multiple times in a generation, you know, then the, the heirs come into ownership and then they pass and leave it to their heirs. Over time, we can end up with, with dozens or hundreds or even some situations where we have a thousand individuals that all own a parcel of land that has been in the family for generations and generations. There's nothing wrong with heirs' property inherently. There's nothing wrong with, with, uh, with land passing to heirs. I mean, obviously that's what a lot of farmers dream of as the ideal scenario for what's gonna to happen to their land. The problem with heirs' property is that it can, be, it can be a precursor to the loss of that land. It can also hinder the, it can hinder the ability of that family to leverage the land um, as capital. So that happens in a couple of for a couple of different reasons. Number one, when property passes from generation to generation and individual to individual in this way it can be difficult to establish formal legal title because we don't have that will-based paper trail that's documented at the land records office. So legal title exists, some these people, you know, the family owns the land, but we don't have it in the traditional documentation that we wanna see it in. When we don't have that traditional documentation, it's harder to use that land as capital it's harder to go to the go to the bank and you know get a get a loan that's mortgaged against that property because you can't establish that ownership in the way that the bank wants to see it. Can also make it hard to participate in government programs, programs that uh, help you stay in stay in business farming, help you um, survive the inevitable bumps and, and shocks of of being in farming. So. If your title is not clear in the way that the government wants to see it, you don't have access to these things that help you maintain continuity and and, and be successful. The other terrible thing that can happen is when land is when land is co-owned in this way, it, it is vulnerable. It's it's vulnerable to 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 loss if one of those individuals decides that they would rather have money than have land. So, you know, maybe they want to start a different small business um, or, you know, need some some cash in some way, um, as many of us at some points in our lives decide we need. So they know they have they know they have shared ownership in this piece of land and they basically want to be bought out. But what happens is that one individual that wants money instead of the land can force a sale of the property for everybody. So then everybody is forced to choose Okay, fine. I'll take the money and not the property, and then that land is lost for that family, um, and that asset um, is removed from that um, from that the heritage of of that family and what it might have meant to them in the future. So that ability to force a sale, called a partition sale of tenancies in common, those are all you know the legal words. If anyone wants to look it up or dive into it, it has become a problem for uh, for landowning families that want to preserve that. That asset over time, even when they have dozens or hundreds um, of owners. So, those are some of the ways that that heirs property comes into being and how it can have it can have a problematic effect um, on land ownership over time.
0: Absolutely, especially when um, one of the folks forcing the partition sale isn't actually a family member, but is an outsider coming in. And um, that is where the work of really powerful organizations like FARMS, the um, Family Agriculture Resource Management Service um, that specializes in Legal assistance to black farmers and all farmers from historically disadvantaged groups to retain ownership of their land comes in um, super powerfully here to help navigate the risk of heirs property and partition sales, um, especially from outside speculators and um, Gosh, there's so much here and we could talk hours and hours, but we're not going to. <laughs> we're, we're, we're just getting to the details here. Um, and so I guess now we'll move to um, resources that, that Black farmers and other farmers of color can seek support and guidance while navigating not only heirs' property issues, but um, other land loss risks, um, which can be from various forms of documentation. Doesn't necessarily have to be title and deed, but also taxes. Um, and so farms, as I mentioned, is an excellent resource. It's, it was founded by um, attorney Jillian Hishaw and like I said, provides legal assistance to help um, historically disadvantaged groups to retain ownership of their land. There is also the Southern Rural Development Center hosted by Mississippi State University, um, and they are working on heirs property education and resource support. So like Rachel said, you can go online and dig around to learn more about heirs property and um, the Southern Rural Development Center is an excellent place to start. Uh, In February, they actually gave a webinar presentation on the history of heirs property in the U.S. and affected regions that really is a must-see for for those of you who who are interested in the issue. And I will be dropping a link to that YouTube video in our show notes. Um, And to round us out, the Land Loss Prevention Project, also here in North Carolina, um, was founded by the North Carolina Association of Black Lawyers, uh, really to curtail the epidemic losses of Black-owned land in North Carolina. So, So that organization is especially a resource for um, farmers in North Carolina. Um, They also provide legal support and assistance to all financially distressed and limited resource farmers and landowners in North Carolina. Um, They are also an excellent place for education on land loss issues for the black farming community and land loss issues um, at large.
1: Absolutely. And I love that these organizations are taking a broader look than just, hey, a legal solution. Although, yes, we absolutely need just straight legal solutions. Um, Things like uh, estate planning that involves a will, um, you know, things like that. There's also so many other social and cultural issues that that are tied up into this. There are reasons, good reasons why uh, minority communities black communities um, aren't using wills or aren't working with traditional attorneys to manage um, the succession of land in traditional ways Um, those good reasons need to be listened to and need to be acknowledged and make sure that the solutions that we're providing are actual authentic uh, things that solve problems that real people are experiencing Um, and the good organizations that you've mentioned um, look at these issues from a variety of ways to, to figure out what gets People to where they want to be um, in terms of their their family land so it's exciting to see these encompassing solutions go forward.
0: Absolutely and our role in all this at Farm Commons um, is we are on the path of change and exploration and and understanding um, of our relation to the law and race and As we've been doing for the past seven years, we offer farm business support um, for for all farmers and and we're really taking the time now to sit and um, listen to ourselves and research and read and seek out the advice of others um, to understand how we can best serve the black indigenous and people of color communities in farming with the law.
1: Absolutely. It's such an important thing for us to do at Farm Commons. When you look at the kinds of education we offer, we, we teach folks about farm business law. We, we talk about, you know, I, I joke about it and I say, oh, we do the boring stuff. You know, we're about leases and operating agreements and these documents people would rather avoid. And that might be true, but we do it because we know how powerful these, these documents are and we know the solutions that they create. One of the problems, though, with our current educational approach is that we're not acknowledging that these are very white institutions, that these are very white tools, and that can be awkward. It can be difficult for us to for us to say that, um, but but we do know that it's true, uh, and starting to talk about that and talk about how these vehicles, even just the lease, the land title, um, how they've evolved and how they represent and in some ways maintain systems of oppression. It's a really important conversation that uh, that we want to have uh, that we want to work into our work so that we're not um, we're not pretending that 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 history um, isn't there. So we're going to be moving forward with those conversations. I mean first amongst ourselves as a staff to make sure that that w- we also understand the the history um, that's in front of us. Um, and then once you know, once we've made some headway there, we can talk more about how to share that conversation with you, our community, more broadly. And we're excited. We're excited to learn from you and hear your experiences and to hear what you what you want to talk about going forward to make sure that um, agriculture and food production in America really represents our our highest ideals. It's something we we can be proud of.
0: Absolutely. A lot of work ahead of us, and it's important work, and and we're looking forward to doing it together in community. So thanks, everyone, for tuning in. And don't forget, um, this episode's show notes are going to be loaded with resources for um, the farmer hotlines at Rafi and Flag, the webinar. from the Southern Rural Development Center on Heirs Property and links to farms, the Land Loss Prevention Project, and um, Leah Penniman's book Farming While Black. So thanks for tuning in and best wishes to you all as you continue in the growing season. We're grateful for you. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Farm Commons podcast. For more information on what you just heard, as well as a variety of farm law guides, models, checklists, flowcharts, and more, visit our website at farmcommons.org. You can also email us at info@farmcommons.org if you have any questions or comments about this podcast or any of our online materials.